I must thank Boyd for those very stirring hymns that speak about faith. And we have all together in this most recent one declared our faith as absolute, unchanging, unshakable. But I dare say that uh, for most of us, we say as one in the New Testament, I believe, Lord help my unbelief. We're grateful for everyone who's visiting here today. Delighted that you have come. We trust because we are focusing our attention upon God and His Son and upon the word that comes down from heaven that you will be benefited from being here. We would like to think that we add our little part to that by being open and friendly and caring and concerned for you, and we want you to feel at home in this assembly of Christians. We just returned, as many of you know, from uh, nearly two weeks in the Czech Republic, and uh, Joan and Larry Coffey accompanied us there. I needed a witness that I wasn't going to the French Riviera when I went out of town. And they can testify to the excellent cuisine that we had during the week, if you want to ask them about that. Uh, we were busy all day long for five days, in addition to the preaching on the two Sundays that were there and two uh, public lectures that were had on the last Monday and Tuesday of the week. I say busy because it started in the morning with classes and went through the morning and afternoon classes and evening classes. Uh, Sewell Hall was teaching on the kingdom of God. I spoke about the parables of Jesus. Sergei Korchimaru was teaching about Christian evidences every evening. He has a Ph.D. in microbiology from the University of Moscow where he was converted while in Russia. He has since converted his mother and his sister and is preaching the gospel in the country of Moldova. It is not easy. He works with three different churches trying to help them and strengthen them and to develop, develop leadership in them. Uh, atheism worked an awful toll on people in that region of the world. We noticed as we go about the streets of uh, Prague that people do not look you in the eye. They don't even recognize or acknowledge you. There is no greeting whatsoever. The only persons that they speak with are those that they personally know. And that not too enthusiastically, it seemed to me. But they learn not to trust anyone. They learn not to trust even their families. And that has caused, of course, a strain of atheism to run through them, but the product in their lives is awful. Faith and trust have been greatly eroded. Therefore, it is not easy. For a young man, he, even though he has great intelligence like Sergei, to trust. But he learned to trust at last. We uh, had occasion during one of the public lectures to listen to a young man named Andrew, who is studying at this present time with Mike Mora, who lives in, in Prague, and, and with his wife Tatiana, uh, are working there in preaching the gospel. Uh, he asked many questions about the existence of God and was it better to be an atheist or not to be an atheist? Uh, 
Uh, is it true, as some atheists say, that they live a better life than Christians do, and they're doing quite well without any of this notion about God? And afterward he said to me, My wife is an atheist. My mother and father are atheists. But I have felt that big hole in my heart of which you spoke. There's a hole in the hearts of people. And to live without God is to live at the level of the beast. So I thought today that I would address the subject of the challenges to faith in the 21st century. The prevalent view is that with all the expanded knowledge of recent decades, really faith becomes a difficulty to believe what the Bible teaches in view of all the wonderful uh, knowledge that has come to us as a result of science and technology having almost destroyed and eroded the possibility of faith. It cannot do that. It never will do that. What my thesis is this morning is that the challenges to faith in the 21st century are the same challenges people have faced from the beginning. I'm not running from scientific advance. I know that there's been scientific advancement, but I will tell you something. The three most important questions that people have and they had in the Czech Republic and they have here and they have everywhere are questions that cannot be answered by science. Because science cannot tell you how all this began. They don't have any idea how nothing produced something. That is the baffling uh, challenge that they face and continually unable to answer. But they cannot tell you why you are here. And yet that's a very important question for every human being. And they cannot tell you what life's all about and what the purpose of all this is. We as human beings are so constructed that we cannot live without purpose. We have to have some sort of aim, even if it's nothing more than building a body that is going to be wonderfully uh, appealing. Even if it's nothing more than gaining some further information about life. But all those things at last, all those things at last end on a dead end and leave us empty. But the scripture, the Bible, about which many people speak with disparagement, is a book that says... Here are the answers that plague you. Here are the answers to the questions that you need to know. And that is who you are and why you're here and where you are going. Those things, if you go to Harvard, you're not going to get it. If you go to Princeton, you're not going to get it. If you go to Oxford or Cambridge, you're not going to get it. People have faith, not because they have a grand education and not because they're intellectually superior, but because they see the evidence and hear the word of God, and it speaks to them, uh, and it speaks to the emptiness that's, that's within them. So, the truth is that the problems of believing today do not differ essentially from those which confronted Abraham, who happens to be my subject today, and that's, that's the reason that I had the, the reading, I chose the reading that I did. What it takes to believe in God today, it has always taken. Now, faith is necessary. Sometimes people say, well, we don't need faith, we just need the facts. Don't give us the faith, we need the facts. Well, it's interesting that for life itself, we have to trust in something that we cannot prove. First of all, you've never seen your brain, and you are not likely to do so. Well, I'm not saying it's absolutely impossible, but you're not likely to do that. But how do you know your brain gets it right when it reacts to the world you see with your eyes? How do you know your brain gets it right? How do you know you can trust your brain? I will tell you this. The only way you can know that is by faith. You have to start that 
You have to start thinking with the presupposition that your mind is thinking straight and that you're able to understand what the world is about and to see these things and to evaluate them properly because the brain is working accurately. You can't prove that. But you must begin with that presupposition by faith. Uh, more than that, we trust a lot of people. I trusted airline pilots uh, all the way across the Atlantic and back again. I hadn't seen the credentials. Those fellows didn't show me. Uh, I didn't come. I didn't go ask for it. I want to see your pilot's license. I want to see your, you know, the. I tell you, when we hit the hit the tarmac in 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 Atlanta, coming over from Prague, I was ready to check up because it's a boom. Like that, and I never hit the ground so hard in my life in an airplane, but I trusted these air, air, airline pilots. I trust doctors, I trust pharmacists. All the time. And even I, I, I trust the witness of people who say there are places that exist that I've never been. And when enough witnesses tell me that there's such a place, then I, I believe that. I don't have to have anybody tell me about Paris. I want to tell you, somebody here warned me about the airport in Paris. These are the great trials of preaching the gospel. Uh, somebody warned me about the airport in Paris, and they were telling the absolute truth. That is the most horrendous place I've ever been in. I don't know. The fellow must have been intoxicated. He put the thing together. It's just a mess trying to get from here to here. That's my impression. And, uh, and consequently, I finally, after having a two-hour interval between flights, it took the whole two hours just to get across to the place where I was supposed to be and catch the plane out of there. But anyway, I've trusted people, and you trust people. We cannot live our lives without faith. You cannot see everything you believe. You cannot experience everything that you hold to be true. You accept by faith so many things. It's not possible to live without that. It's not possible for science to exist without faith. Because we have to believe, if we are scientists, that our minds are acting rationally. Back to that point again. You have to believe that because you can't prove it. And secondly, you have to believe that the world is logical and reasonably put together so that the reason of your mind can understand that and explain how it works. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any point. If the whole world acts in some crazy, irrational fashion, then there's no sense trying to examine it because you're never going to understand it. There's no rule, no reason to it. But the scientist believes and he trusts that there is reason in the world and that there's order in the world and that he can trace the different connections between various uh, aspects of the world. But that's faith. So if you've decided, I don't need faith. Don't talk to me about faith. Just give me the facts. Listen to me. You don't ever, cannot ever function at that level. And so to know God which is more important than knowing this world. It's more important than air travel. It's more important than anything you'll ever do. To know God and to come to God requires faith. That shouldn't surprise you. I know you've never seen God. You haven't seen a lot of things. And in the course of your life, you'll not see all that's existent in this world. But this passage in Hebrews 11, verse 6, is so significant. For he who comes to God must believe that he is first truth. If you ever want to come to God, you're going to have to decide in your mind that there is a God. You're going to have to look at this world and recognize the fact that this couldn't have come into existence by chance. That it takes the greatest kind of credulity. You just almost have to have a childlike 
belief in fairy tales to believe that this world came into existence by faith. I've, I've come to the conclusion in my experience in talking with people who are atheists, and I sat beside one gentleman, a Jewish gentleman who was an atheist, and we talked about that, and he tried to convince me that he's doing fine, that he was able to work out a moral life and all that sort of thing, and I just asked him on what ground that, that he could do that. But I have come to the conclusion that people become atheists not because of the of having rationalized through it, or having looked at it and thought about it and intellectualized it, but because they don't want anybody telling them what to do. They want to be free to do all that they want to do without any, uh, without any responsibility to give account to anyone else. Now, I say that with kindness. There may be some intellectual atheists out there, but I've seldom come into contact with them. And, I, and what, what atheists have said about their lives, very, when they're very candid, like uh, one Aldous Huxley said, the reason that I'm an atheist is because I didn't want anybody interfering with my sexual life. So we have to be honest with ourselves. Is the question of the existence of God one of the intellect or is the question of the attitude and disposition of our souls toward the idea that we are responsible creatures? Let me tell you this. You know right now that you are not independent. You haven't been independent for a long time. You've never been independent. You were born to this world as helpless as you could be. Somebody else had to take care of you, feed and clothe you, and tend to all the necessities of your life. And ever since then, you have not been independent because of the fact that you don't have control over your health. Oh, you say, but I've got good insurance, and I see doctors regularly. I know you do that, but a lot of people that have that good insurance and see doctors regularly have terrible diseases and die. Did you know that? And not only that, if they don't get diseased... They go down the highway and somebody comes across the median and strikes them and they have no way out and it's death instantaneously. We are, we are dependent creatures. We are not independent. And the question is, is there not anything at all out there that rules and governs our lives and makes sense out of the things that are happening to us in this world? And of course, to know God, you must believe that he is. And here's the second thing. And that he is the rewarder of those who diligently, or as the version read, says, earnestly seek him. That tells us that knowing there is a God is not enough. It goes without saying the first proposition leads to the second. If there is a God, and he gives us life and breath and all things, then we need to seek him with the most earnest spirit. Because if we do not find him, we will never know ourselves because he's the one that created us and he alone knows why we are here. So it's important that faith comes into our lives and we cannot live without it either in the practical sense and certainly not with regard to God. What does faith demand? Well, you remember the reading? What did Abraham do? Well, Genesis 12 says God had said to him, as the chapter begins, which indicates it was something that had occurred previously, get out of your father, away from your father's house, from this country, and everything here, and you go to a land that I will show you. You say, well, that's Abraham now. Now, that's Abraham. No, that's you and me. Should I say I? We also, if we want to know God, if we want to believe and trust in God, we're going to have to get out of the country we're in and away from our father's house and everything. Did you know anything? Do you know anything about Ur of the Chaldees? You may. 
uh, one sir, forgot his first name, Woolley, uh, was the name of the man who in the 1920s and 30s excavated the mound that was found to be Ur of the Chaldees. And, and you might think, well, those poor people living in mud huts over there, they didn't have anything whatsoever. What did Abraham have to lose? He, you know, the real estate was bad where he was, and wherever he went was going to be an improvement. No, that's not true. It was a huge city in many ways by ancient standards, with walls that went up about 12 feet, and sometimes at the base were about 77 feet wide. Solid walls. And not only that, the housing of the average citizen had about 2,000 square feet in it. And not only that, but they had rooms built around a courtyard, and it was a two-story house. And then they had a side yard. It was quite nice. And not only that, they had running water in the, in the courtyard. How about that? There for the guests and the visitors and for the servants there on the first floor. It was a settled community where they domesticated animals. It was a settled community where they grew crops. And now God says to Abraham, and I'm not sure how he appeared to him, just exactly how he brought this to him. It says he said to him, get out of this place. Now, the interesting thing about the Chaldees is that they were pagan. They worshipped the god Nana, or Nanar, the god of the moon. And they had there in the city a great temple to that god. And not only that, they had one of these, well, you won't, this is, it sounds like cigarette, but it's a ziggurat, which was, which was a a pyramid of sorts, but it was truncated. It came in steps like so. And it went up about 70 feet. And at the top it was a holy place where those priests of these gods did whatever they did. And, and, and that's the kind of life that was there. And we know that's the case. And we know probably that Abraham's father was involved with it and all his people because Joshua said, you're going to have to choose, Joshua 24:15 between the God... Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are you going to have to, you're going to have to choose the gods that your father served beyond the river, that is, beyond the Euphrates. Pagan. Idolatry. That's where he was. Now, you ask yourself the question. What you would have said, if the voice of God came to you in the midst of all that and said, all this is nonsense, you've got to get away from all this, and you're going to go to a place I'll show you, and you don't know where it is. And he went out, as the Scripture says, not knowing where he was going, and all of us will do that. But you have to make a clean break. Is that true? It's radical. It's, I tell you, the journey that he made when he left home was a greater journey than he made from all the way from, from Ur down to Shechem. It was when he left his father's house and all that was there. Now, he knew what he was leaving, but he didn't know where he was going. And he went anyway. Abraham is a great example of faith. And think about this. You're the only one that's going to take the journey. Well, I know he had a companion. He had his wife and he had his nephew. And his father went with him a short distance up, from, up to Haran. But he was alone called to do this. Not any company. And everybody else is worshiping Nanar, the god of the moon. And everybody else is bowing down to wood and stone and silver and gold. And he is called upon to leave all this and serve a god he had never seen in his life. That is exactly what you are called upon to do if you want to see God and serve it. Uh, the language of Scripture is rather explicit in this regard. Second Corinthians, chapter 6, 
where the Apostle Paul speaks to his brethren in Corinth and reminds of something I'm sure that he had said to them already. Verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Does that sound like a separation, total separation? That's exactly what it is. That is a challenge. There has to be this radical change. You want to hang on to what you had? You remember the leeks and onions of the land of Egypt? You want to go back to the place where you were slaves uh, without mercy by by your overlords? Or or, or are you willing to cut the ties and say, I'm done with that, I'm finished with that, I'm going to serve the Lord God? That's what we're saying in these hymns, by the way. But sometimes the world lives too closely to us. And we're hanging on to things that are a part of the old life. Abraham did not do that. He went forward and did not look back. Don't be like Lot's wife. There has to be a clean break if you, if you believe. That's a test of faith. And some of us, we want to say, well, I'd like to be a Christian. I like the company. I like the people. I like everything you know about that. But there are a few things that I, I, mm-mm, I just, uh, you know, I love some of my people, and I, and I, and I don't want to—I don't want to get them upset at me, and I don't want to have difficulty with them. And so you'll understand if I make some compromises. The Lord won't understand that. It has to be a clean break. And of course, I think people need to know that when they think about becoming Christians—that there must be a change. We must become strangers and pilgrims. That's exactly what Abraham was. I I want to make this point, too, in passing, that the kind of promise that God made to Abraham was not the kind of promise that a fellow who likes to hear it now would have have really been uh, drawn to. What did he say? Three things in the 12th chapter of Genesis. He said, first of all, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Abraham never saw that. And he said, "I'm I'm going to give that nation this land on which you dwell. That's down in Shechem. Abraham... Never saw that. And he said, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. Abraham never saw that. And that's the reason the writer in Hebrews said he looked for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. He died in faith, says the writer of Hebrews. He died in faith without having received the promises. If you want to believe in God, you must believe in something that's going to happen beyond this life. And you must believe that in spite of all the suffering, in spite of all the, dis, uh, the, 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 the heartache and heartbreak that you may experience as a, as a child of God, that there is something that will absolutely counterbalance that and make it as nothing when you finally see it. Well, Abraham, you see, was not somebody for the here and now. He left all that behind. And he dwelt in tents, says the 11th chapter of Hebrews. He dwelt in tents in the land that was supposed to be his and his posterity. The only land he ever owned was the land he bought to bury his wife Sarah in. And that was it. And you and I, if we want to be faithful, we're going to have to be like Abraham. 
and leave behind everything and turn and serve the Lord and follow Him. Philippians 3.20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for a Savior. It's not heaven is not here, if you haven't figured that out. Oh, in many ways it begins here. The process begins here, but heaven's not here. So many things happen that we didn't anticipate. So many painful things that do. But the thing about Abraham, he had a place to go and God was leading him. He didn't know where he was going, but I want to tell you, he knew who was guiding him. And he trusted him. Faith has two aspects to it. With regard to promises, it means we trust God that he's going to fulfill the promises. But with regard to God's commands, it means we are absolutely obedient to Him. So, if you are a true believer, then you trust God to fulfill His promises to you. And secondly, whenever He speaks, that's exactly what you do. There's no, well, I, I don't, I'm not sure that that makes sense. I, well, did it make sense for Abraham to get up and leave everything that he had there in Ur of the Chaldees and march off to some place he didn't even know where he was going, didn't even have the name of the place? He didn't even have a chance to go down and look over the real estate and then make up his mind about whether or not he was going to uh, accept this proposition that God had given him. He trusted God. And when he trusted God to guide him and lead him, he didn't ask any questions when he was told to do it. He just did it. Now, that's faith. And some of us are struggling to get there. Because if we can't rationalize, and if it doesn't make sense to us, what the Bible says we are to do as the followers of Christ, and we're just hesitant to, to make a commitment to that. Let me tell you, you're never going to understand everything. Only God knows that. Now, one thing we have to understand if we're going to be Christians is that God loves us, that He's wise beyond our knowing, and that He knows exactly what He's doing, and our task is to trust Him and submit to Him and do His will and know that everything is going to work out and come out all right. Romans 8.28 and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purposes. So, that's what everybody has to do who believes. That's the challenge to faith. And we must accept the challenge and, and, and go out not knowing where we're going, but knowing that God leads us. Second thing that faith uh, finds as an obstacle is believing what's impossible. Like Sarah. Notice in verse 11 of uh, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 11. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. And it wasn't just Sarah. Abraham had to, had to take in hand his, uh, his uh, uh, faith when it came to the matter of having a child. His wife having a child when she's... Uh, how old? Ninety years old, and he's a hundred years old. And Paul refers to that in Romans chapter four when he's talking about faith. And uh, here's here's what the, the apostle observes, verse sixteen. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all, and is written, I have made a you, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, because he was not the father of many nations when God said that to him, who contrary to hope, 
in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. If you said it, that's the way it's going to be. With men, Jesus said, with regard to the salvation of the rich people, with, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You're going to have to believe that you didn't see it, but you're going to have to believe God spoke the world into existence. You're going to have to believe that God is controlling this universe and you can't see it. You're going to have to believe on the basis of a genuine faith and trust in Him. Uh, but a change in the relationship between scientists and theologians since the Middle Ages. Middle Ages, the theologians ruled over everything. The scientists had to agree with them. But now I'm telling you, all people who are supposed to be theologians, they just bow and scrape before the scientists. Whatever science says, that's exactly what they believe. And yet science is so tentative. I've already addressed this. Uh, some of the exotic uh, areas of scientific study, have the knowledge they have a half-life of three or four years. You want to base your hope on that? Things keep changing. Well, on the matter of evolution, I have a book written by uh, a fellow named Fred Hoyle, who is the author of The Steady State Theory of the Universe, and he was made a knight by the British government. And not only that, he is quite a, a famous astronomer and scientist. And he said it's not possible for evolution to have started here. There's not enough time here. There's not enough of anything here for it to be possible. And he just debunked the whole business of evolution. He said life, here it is. He said life had to come from outer space. <laughs> That's the answer, you see. We can't figure it out here. We'll go to outer space. Now the question is, how did it get in outer space if it's out there? It's like the lady who was listening to a scientist depose upon the origin of things. And she said, uh, raised her hand, said, uh, I, I have the answer to the question of where, how, how the earth uh, hangs suspended in space. She said, it, it is resting on the back of a turtle. And the man very patiently said, oh, and what is that turtle resting upon? She said, a bigger turtle. <laughs> oh, he said, well, it's getting interesting. He said, what is that turtle resting? He said, a bigger turtle. He says, no use, mister. It's turtles all the way down. <laughs> but that's ridiculous, you know. You never get to the answer. That something has to be infinite here. Something has to have always been here. And you will choose between two things. This universe, which is functioning blindly with nowhere to go and giving no purpose to anybody, or God who planned this thing, and who has a purpose for you, and you have a purpose, and you're special because you're made in the image of God. That's the choice that has to be made. And we must give total obedience to God, just exactly like Abraham did, and trust him absolutely. Here's what faith gives to us. The ability to absolutely trust somebody. What a wonderful thing. Abraham stood the test in the mountains of Moriah, 22nd chapter of Genesis, when God said, you take your son... Only son, Isaac, out to the mountains of Moriah, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. 
That was inconceivable morally, emotionally, logically. Uh, how can we explain that God would ask for human sacrifice? Well, I don't know how to explain that necessarily, but I, I, I'd have to say that if God gives life, He can take it. And He can ask for it. What about an awful thing to ask Abraham to do? And then, then there's the emotional side of things. He loved that boy. And Sarah loved that boy. And he's about, probably a teenager. Take him out and kill him. And the reaction of the son who says, Father, here's the wood and here's the fire, but where's the sacrifice? To which Abraham replied very insightfully, My son, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. And then, then there's the logical problem here. If this boy is to be the means by which I'm the father of a great nation, which means that the promises of God are dependent upon his living. And that if he dies, that's the end of the promise. How am I going to work that out? We know from Hebrews chapter 11 that God thought, now that Abraham believed, that God would what? Raise him from the dead. And you wonder, is this the same Abraham that worked it out with Sarah to have this Egyptian handmaid be the father of a child so we can work this thing out our own way. Is this the same Abraham that, uh, that essentially lied to Pharaoh and also to the sons of Gerar when he told them that his wife was his sister? Is this the same Abraham? It's the same Abraham. He made his mistake. But I want to tell you something. Somebody who will do this trusts God. And we're going to have to do the same thing. It may not always seem right to us what God's expecting of us. It may not always seem exactly proper what God expects of us. But once you believe that God exists and once you believe He's spoken to us in His Son, after that the issue is just to be quiet and listen. And whenever He says do something, we're going to do it. And whenever He forbids something, we're not going to do that. Because we trust Him. And the wonderful thing is, it's all going to take us somewhere wonderful. Okay, second thing it gives us is answers to life's important questions. We've already spoken about that. Where the world came from, who we are. And then it gives us, thirdly, a steadfast purpose and immovable commitment. We know who we are. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? We know who we are and we know where we are going. This whole thing started back in Eden. And God had a dream and a plan how it was going to end up at last. And what he dreamed of was we're all going to be with him in heaven. Now, I don't have time to talk about that today. We're not told much about heaven. But I want to tell you something. I'm going to go to heaven like Abraham went to Canaan. I'm going to go not knowing what the provisions are down there or up there. I'm going to go not knowing exactly what the accommodations are. I'm going to go not knowing what we're going to be doing for all those eternal uh, years or lack of years. I'm going to go because I believe in Him. And because I believe that His intention toward us is gracious and good and I'm not going to worry about whether we're going to know each other in heaven. I get tired of that question. You think God can't work that out? My goodness. I'm not really concerned about accommodation. Like Abraham, I want to be where he is. 
where God is, where His Son is. But if I do that, it's be because I've kept steady to the course. And when He's promised me I, something, I said, I, I know that's exactly what's going to happen. And when He tells me what to do, then I know that's exactly what I'm going to try to do. And if I fail, thanks be to God for His mercy. I'll just get up and try again and try again and try again and keep on trying till I get what God wants from me right. So, those are the obstacles to faith now, even there were the obstacles of faith then. And every man must put his trust in God because without faith it's impossible to please him. And you must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder. That there's a reward out there of those that diligently seek him. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in his son? Well, you said, yes, I, I believe. I, I, I'm convinced that there is a God, and I'm convinced that Jesus is his son. Yes. Are you a Christian? Well, no. I thought about it. I'm, I'm not a Christian yet. What? What is it? You believe in God. You believe in his son. What's holding you back? The next step is obvious. That is, you hear his promises and believe them, and you hear his word and you obey it. And everything will be right after that, at last. So we're appealing to you today to let that faith you hold in Jesus as God's Son move you to trust him and to act upon his commands. Therefore, to be born anew by the water and the Spirit, John 3, verse 5. To believe and be baptized, Mark 16, 16. To repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. There can be no faith without obedience. And then you're on the road as a pilgrim and a stranger in this world, but they'll know you in heaven. And when you stand before the Lord God or before his Son, he won't say, depart from me, I, I don't know you. He will say, I know you well. Enter into the joys of your Lord. It can't get better than that. And we invite you to come to Christ if you're not a Christian here this morning. And if as a Christian you kind of lost your way, got back in her of the Chaldees, got too tired to this world, it's a good time to say, I'm done with that. Heaven is too important. God loves me too much for me to throw all this away on foolishness while we're standing together and singing.